when was that April 1st bankruptcy tweet? Was that 2017 or 2016? That was 2018. That was only 14 months ago. 14 and a half months oh ago. God. I feel like that's aged 100 years. Oh, yeah. That was Tesla time is like the theory of relativity goes out the window when you're talking about Tesla. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of the Tesla Q podcast. This is your host TQ and I'm going to be joined today by Bloodsport Capital from Twitter. If you're on Twitter as part of Tesla Q, I'm sure you're familiar with him. If you're interested in being a contributor to the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast and become a contributor or go to the Square Cash app or cash.me slash Tesla Q podcast and you can make a one-time contribution there. I am going to try to have a at least a little bit of a, a bonus part at the end uh, from this for subscribers. So be ready for that. And without further ado, welcome Bloodsport Capital. Hey, TQ. Thanks for uh, having me on here on this podcast. Uh, serendipitous that uh, my suspension here was lifted today and we are finally able to connect and... Um, and and do this so thank you for having me thanks for being here i i actually was a little bit sad that your suspension was lifted because would have added a little bit of extra drama for you to be suspended when this podcast dropped but but oh well whatever oh well uh so uh obviously on twitter your name is bloodsport capital and also is tesla worth zero was your prior account so tell us tell us a little bit about yourself uh obviously you can Re- refrain from saying anything that you don't want to say to to give up your identity or anything like that. So. Yeah, so I think um, the easiest way for me to um, introduce myself here is I would refer any listeners, any new listeners or folks that haven't had interactions with me is to go see my pinned tweet. Um, I do have my background up there in, in one tweet. Um, so I am a double major in finance and accounting. I'm a CPA. Got experience with counterparty credit risk, housing finance, um, specializing in, in mortgage banking. So I've worked in bankruptcies, restructuring, distressed debt, lending, collateral uh, collateral adequacy, regulatory compliance, um, and working with government entities. Um, so out of school, I was working at a little tax practice, was the only full-time employee there. Um, did that for a little bit, then moved over to a big four um, consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, there, I advised the U.S. Coast Guard, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, National Institute of Health, the National Credit, National Credit Union Administration, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and a couple other entities. And so I went to that little tax practice, bounced over to Big Four, got my CPA, left there, went over to Mortgage Guarantor over at Freddie Mac, got a lot of analytical experience on the counterparty credit risk desk, 
um, while I was there. I worked on a couple deals there and um, ended up leaving to follow a CFO that I was covering to an aggregator. Um, we were backed by PIMCO, so I thought there was a lot of capital there. This CFO had taken all of his other companies public, so I thought I was getting on a gravy train when I jumped over there. Had a great experience over there for a number of years, um, but we burnt through about nine figures of PIMCO's money and um, saw the writing on the wall and jumped ship and went back to a big four um, and was there for a second stint for a while. Um, so that's kind of my background um, personally and and my knowledge of capital markets and investing and, and that type of thing. I'll tell you, um, overall, I was a devout follower of Bogleheads.org. Um, it's you know, the most vanilla investing. It's, you know, index funds, um, diversify with some bonds, low cost fee, ETFs, that type of stuff. Um, I got heavily involved in that because out of school, I thought I was a genius and could trade options on a credit card balance transfer with margin, which pretty much all the kids are doing over at uh, Wall Street. Great, great idea. That's, yeah, so... Uh... Highly recommended by the podcast. Yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. So Not. the quickest way to learn is put your hand on the stove and get burnt. And when you do, my God, do you learn quickly. So while I only took probably like a three or $5,000 loss, I think I was selling options. I forget what type of options I was selling, put or call on a mortgage REIT that was yielding 19%, which should have been a clear indicator that um, <laughs> something was amiss. And, you know, blew up that account, stuck with the balance transfer and just spent three years of literally just investing with 401k, you know, automatic investing, that type of stuff. And just reading everything I could to figure out what went wrong and how bad it went wrong. Um, and then I started to get back into um, options um, from there. So, so you started off on the uh, extremely high risk side and then you moved to the Boglehead side yep. and now you've gradually moved back to saying that yes, individual investors can recognize that individual companies are either on a good trajectory or a bad trajectory. That that's correct. And, and it's also a, a function of risk management, right? So majority of my portfolio is not in this trade, which for everyone else, it should be the same. Um, you know, manage your own risk, do your own research. But you know, if you're if you can't sleep at night or you're waking up in cold sweats, it means you've got too big of a position in there. Um, and you know, and I have a penchant for the special situation type investments. Um, I think many people have seen before um, one of my larger. Other trades is is um, the GSEs and their conservatorship. Um, you, people, if they listen to Chris Iron's podcast, um, I think he's had Adam Spitler on there to talk about that stuff. That's the that's the quote the Raven podcast, which the existence of the QTR pod, podcast is part of the genesis of the Tesla Q podcast. Just for anybody listening, so so you know I like the special situation um, type investments because the way I look at these type of things is 
you have three different piles, right? You've got the, this is easy. So that's the Bogle has you do a 60, 40 equity bonds. You can set it and forget it and, you know, go to work, invest like that and, you know, wake up later in life. And you probably got a pretty good retirement nest egg if you did nothing else, right? That's the super easy pile. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you know, this is an interesting situation. Let's take a look at it. And then you've got to decide, should that go into the easy pile after you've done a little bit of research or does it go into the too hard pile for most investors it quickly moves into the too hard pile because there's just so many things going on with an individual company to get up to speed you have to spend a lot of time and most people don't have the time or the expertise to do that so i like those those investments where people say this is too hard and then i want to know why is it too hard and if it's too hard for me, then sure, it goes into the way too hard for Bloodsport Capital and it goes off to the side. But if it's just, hey, you've got to do some work and you've got to do some reading, like the big short, I feel like I'm, I do that sometimes when Michael Burry is sitting on the floor combing over all the mortgage documents, <laughs> right? So like Michael Burry, you know, when he lays out all those papers in the movie and is reading through them all, and that's when he figures out that those MBSs are going to go bust by the way that they're structured. So, you know, not every investment is like that, but, you know, if you can put in the work and and read and ask questions and find other people to, you know, bounce those ideas off, some things that are too hard just means that other people don't want to do the work. It's not that it's too hard to figure out. It's, it was too much work. And so I like putting in the work. Gotcha. How, how did you get into options or what's your background with options? Well, in my undergraduate, I took a futures and options pricing class. The professor was, um, his native language was Chinese, so English was his second language. He was a former CFTC um, board member or something related to the CFTC, so he had a lot of experience in the futures and and options. Um, And as a kicker, he had the deepest, like, lisp you could ever (laughs) like you've ever heard so english is a second language deep lisp and then we couldn't use calculators either um so when you're trying to take a test and on you know and and do black shoals without a calculator um you learn that you have to do your own research and and teach yourself how to learn or it was going to be a very difficult class. And I believe I took that my senior year, maybe in the spring semester while I was working full time. So it was one of those classes where I did not have the luxury of being able to fail and retake it. Gotcha. So learn, learned it uh, the hard way. Off the top of your head, what would you guess the percentage of Tesla bulls that know all the inputs to the Black-Scholes equation is? Oh man, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to say like 2%. <laughs> because generous? 2%? Yeah, because I because from the people that are out there that are on the forums or on Twitter, I think is a pretty good representation of the investors. Then I think there are some, you know, real investors that are just not vocal or participate in all of that, right? Mhm. Um so I do I would give them the benefit here and say it's probably about two percent 
So I'll but, be I'll be even more generous and say five to ten percent. That's fair. I but mo- but most of those are the less vocal, probably. Yeah, and the thing with with options and everything else is, I think most people understand the deltas um, and and how that works and theta. Those are the two easiest ones because you go, man, I bought this thing and it moved a couple points up, but what happened? I lost money. It's well, you burnt, you paid too much for this option and the theta burnt you. So you learn very quickly how that, that gets you. But then there's the other pieces of, you know, on a Friday, it's everything's gamma where the, if something moves, everything's moving very quickly. Then if you've got some longer options on like index, uh, on like the indices, if we were in a rising rate environment, you could, um, get some exposure to interest rates through row. Then you get into all the other second derivatives and <laughs> and other pieces, which even is beyond me. Um, that's yeah, I, really I, that's really for the dealers. Yeah, I think the uh, delta and theta are, are the two that I know the best. I've almost got a handle on Vega, but not not quite. Yeah, and for a lot of it, you don't have to know yeah. that for what you're trying to do because there are some positions that you can recreate a long stock position through a deep in the money call or a, for a lot of us, it's probably, you know, being short, you're probably at the money or in the money or slightly out of the money, you know, longer dated puts. And it's going to function more or less like a, a, um, a straight short position for the most Mm -hmm. part. So on the topic of special situations, you obviously somehow got roped into the Tesla Q Twitter community. So What's some of your origin story behind that? How, how did you get interested in Tesla in general? So I always knew that they were dependent on capital markets um, for most of their time. And I'd say it was probably, when was that April 1st bankruptcy tweet? Was that 2017 or 2016? That was 2018. That was only 14 months ago. 14 and a half months oh ago. God. I feel like it's aged a hundred years. Oh yeah. It was Tesla time is like the theory of relativity goes out the window when you're talking about Tesla and the short side and the long side. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. If people can hear me, that's just a deep sigh because it's, it has felt like an eternity, but <laughs> the last I, year has been crazy. So, so this is, this is kind of how I got into it. It was, um, again, going back to Adam, Adam Spittler there, I remember him posting, I think on Twitter, he had taken out a position going into, I end of the quarter into that, um, first quarter earnings, um, report. And then that bankruptcy tweet came out, the stock cratered. And I believe he had posted his position and I think he made some money on that. And I go, whoa, why would a CEO ever make that joke? That's just, yeah, that was, that just violates every, you know, tenant of a fiduciary, right? You're, you're, Mm -hmm. you're using somebody else's capital as a CEO. You have violated the fiduciary responsibility to your um, investors. And the fact that the stock cratered and people made so much money, I go, I got to I got to open this thing up and I, when the financials came out I pulled it up and I go, "Huh, the only number I had to look at was how much money they were losing from their operations." Because I think in that quarter I, they may have said, I'd have to go back and look, but I think they had said um 
you know, they had some decent cash flow. But when I looked at the cash flow from operations, it's like you may have had some, you know, investment cash flow or financing cash flow, but you you've got a big hole in that uh, OCFO cash flow, and you can only do that for so long because you're just burning through your cash flow from investments and cash flow from financing activities. And if if your operations can't support your business, you know, you can play with the accounting as a CPA. I'll tell you, you can make those numbers do whatever you want to do at the quarters, but ultimately the economics and the accounting do true up at a certain point. Eventually. Eventually they will always Mm -hmm. true up in mortgage banking. I would always talk to these CEOs and CFOs and they would try to pull fast ones when accounting regulations would, or accounting pronouncements would come out and they could adjust their pipelines and, and recognize revenue. There was that snowstorm in Boston. So a lot of our Northeast counterparties were adopting this pronouncement early, which allowed them to recognize revenue on their pipeline and pull it forward. And I go, yeah, you don't do a lot of mortgages in, in the fourth quarter and you've effectively burnt through the next 60 days of your pipeline by pulling all that forward so you didn't show an annual loss. So the economics are going to true up to the accounting in the middle of the first quarter. So your credit lines cut until I get to see the first quarter financials. And they put up a big fight and I go, but tell me where I'm wrong. And they go, well, you're not. And they go, so again, your credit line is cut until we see those first quarter financials. Um, so anyway, I saw, I saw that piece and then I had done, um, you know, just followed along kind of on the sidelines on Twitter a little bit, not, you know, involved, didn't know about this whole Tesla Q thing. Um, and then at some point I found it and I, I realized I was going to create a separate account just to deal with that because I had seen some of the nastiness that was going into it and realized this was a cult stock. Um, and then also the handle is Tesla worth zero. It felt like a good one. <laughs> just yet. Um, so right were, were you inspired by the, the bankruptcy picture from Elon Musk? I, I was just blown away that any CEO would do that because it just, for me that had, you know, worked with some smaller banks and, and mortgage banks and, you know, they were stewards of their investors capital. They would never ever do that. And to have somebody else, do something like that it just blew my mind that, that you, something is amiss here and I don't I don't know what it is yet but I'm gonna find out and so that's when I started opening up the financials and looking and go this is a weak balance sheet their operations don't support the ongoing core business you can shed off all the other stuff from it whether it's solar city or um, a- anything else it's it, they got to build sell and service cars profitably and they weren't able to do that they've survived so long because they're dependent on the capital markets and government subsidies mm-hmm. and so as you peel back some of that stuff it was this is this is a company that's got a very high share price they should just issue a ton of equity clear the debt and now you've got a decent balance sheet and they can do whatever they want after that because it's just the equity shareholders mm-hmm. and they don't have to worry about bond payments interest payments um debt covenants, anything else, anything that's restrictive, they can shed all that by issuing equity at, I forget what the share price was, but I think it was somewhere in like 220 or 230, which was pretty high at that point for them. 
it was just issue a ton of equity. You got a high share price. Sure, you'll take a hit on the dilution. But at that point, they were issuing, you know, some sort of converts and an equity around that time. And it just didn't make sense to me why they would choose to incur debt when you could just take the hit today on the dilution, but then you don't have to worry about any of the other stuff mm-hmm. that comes with the debt covenants. Yeah, I, I, that was actually before I delved deeply into the Tesla Q Twitter space. But I, I, I think they had like within a just a little bit more than a week before that bankruptcy picture on April 1st, 2018, they had been downgraded by Moody's, I think in late March of 2018. I, I think it was after the 20th. I don't remember the exact date, but it was right around the same time frame. But seeing the share price drop from that that Moody's downgrade was part of what piqued my interest. Although I think I had, I think my maybe my very first real world Tesla position was right around the time of their uh, fourth quarter 2017 release, which happened to coincide with the very first ever Falcon 9 rocket launch. Like a day apart i think so that that timing caught my eye then the downgrade caught my eye and several other things on down the line caught my eye so so and then yeah so i created that that account and came over and i think when i finally like made an entrance into the because i think tesla charts had started their account. Um, I want to say probably roughly around the same time as I did. Um, I'd have to go back and and look there, but I want to say it was roughly around the same time, but they're putting out the charts. They got, you know, kind of rose to the top, if you will, of of some of the big accounts um, on Twitter there. And my first real foray was when they made, when they amended that uh, ABL and I just happened to be in the office and, and was pulling it apart and, and reading through it and, and just having a ton of questions out there about why they were making all of these changes and what I thought they were trying to do because having amended different, um, different financing instruments with counterparties to make things work, you only do that in certain situations and it's because you have to. And that I think was around June. So I think from like January to June of 2018 was me kind of just putzing around on Twitter and and not really making too many contributions out there. But when I laid all of that out, I think I got a lot more following there. And then that's when I really started to see Oh my God, I thought I, I knew what I was talking about. That's when like the investor Gator and probably like Lewis Carruthers or uh, Nicholas Stash or a couple other, or Joey Freshwater. I remember uh, that one. Inception. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it was, those folks just came and, you know, kind of tore that stuff up and go, yeah, you're kind of right here, but this is how I would interpret it. Or actually you missed this part and this and that. And I go, Whew, these people, wow, there's a lot more for me to learn here. So I should just kind of, you know, work my way in here and and just see what else I can learn from these people. So that's when I really started following more accounts and 
and trying to interact more with people. And, and that's when I figured if you, the more you put out there, whether it's content, whether it's contributions, whether it's really anything is, is that's kind of the currency in, you know, Tesla Q world is you are what you put out there and being able to ask questions and get the feedback from others. It really showed me that there are a lot of smart people out there. And I knew that, you know, for essentially the last, you know, 10 months. And it was until it was that May where I just asked that question after clean tech, Tecana. I've, Te- I don't know. Technica, clean yeah. Technica, I think okay. is how you say it. Clean Technica, um, when they had put out, you know, whatever they put out, and, and I just asked that question, it, it was, let's just see what cards are on the table, because I really want, I wanted to know who else is out there. I know there's some smart people, but let's really see. And then, man, just the flood of people that came out with credentials. I was blown away every single time. And, mm-hmm. you know, the people that were DMing me, with their stuff and they go, yeah, I don't post much, but I read through everything. And it was, there are people that land rockets on barges. There are people that are in the electric vehicle manufacturing. So everything that's, you know, have you landed a rocket? Have you, you know, built a car? It's, I haven't, but I know someone that has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it was, that's where I really started to see how big this thing was and, and really um, just kind of appreciate all of the learning that is there if you want it and you, if, if you want that knowledge and you really want to find the truth, it's there. You just have to ask the questions. You have to participate. And you've got to be open to feedback and, and criticism because you can have a theory and a thesis, but, man, you put it out there, people will rip it apart in three seconds, and it's either right or it's wrong. Yep. It's a it, self-correcting entity, Tesla Q Twitter. Yeah, it's, and it's incredible how quickly those things. So all the people that say, oh, man, they missed it on can't raise, can't leave, bankruptcy, et cetera. Well, everything was there, and the theory was sound, and it you know held water. Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why didn't they raise capital at 360 instead of at 243? There's only, I, there's only a handful of people that know the true answer to that, and it's not us. Elon, Elon knows, I'm sure. I think that management and legal counsel and uh, uh, Dane Butswingus, whose office I used to walk by, um, I, I think I bet knows. Dane knows. Yeah, I think he knows, and I think he knew enough to go. Well, you know what? As your attorney, I'm gonna see myself out here. Good luck. Here's my last advice to you. <laughs> hmm. So one of your main contributions, and from my perspective, to Tesla Twitter is the encouragement that you've given for us to actually use the the normal communication channels to the government to let let our our government workers know our opinions and our observations about things that have gone on with Tesla. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um to just jump back for a second, having gone through putting out the ABLs, having you know, had my own models, but then seeing others just so much smarter and just building so much more robust models and putting those things out there for, you know, public consumption and realizing that how to stress the balance sheet was how terrible the P&L is. That's when I realized ago I can build whatever model I want and everything else, but none of that matters because other people do it better than me. So I'm going to lean on them for that. So as I was watching people complain that the SEC is not doing anything. 
Um, DOJ is not doing anything. NHTSA, NH, or NSTB. NTSB. Yep. The NTSB. You name the regulatory body and, and folks complaining that nothing is being done. That's where I kind of saw saw an avenue to just say, what have you done about it? You can complain here on, on this free website that is what it is, or you can take the 10 minutes it takes to A, write to them through the proper channels, B, pick up the phone and make that phone call and speak to somebody there so your voice is, is definitely heard, and C, you you show up on the second Tuesday of November every year for elections, whether it's state, local, or federal, you are electing these people to do a job, whether it's the person that you voted for or not, they represent you. And government only works if it works for you. And for, you know, for this country's lifetime, it has worked for the majority of the people most of the time. That's what keeps everything together. But if it's not working for you, you have to express that. And if you're only doing it at the ballot box, then you're only they're setting the agenda for you. They're telling you what issues you can and cannot, you know, choose. But if you're talking with your representatives, you're working with them, you're educating them, right? Because it's either the lobbyists are going to educate them, the industry is going to educate them, or you're going to educate them. Um, <clears throat> so if you and hold on, I got to pause here for a second, because I just read a tweet today, the adapted mindset, look, I can't have people go on rants and then lose their breath halfway through. And I just did that right there. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to laugh at that, then go forward here. But on this rant is these people work for you. And those are your elected officials that should be contacted, should be made aware of these issues. So if something happens down the road, you can say, I, I told you this was going to happen. You did nothing for it. And so when your challenger goes to primary you or in the general goes to run against you, guess what? Now you can send that stuff to them and say, look, I, this is all they had to do. I warned them. I told them. I tried to educate them, but they did not want to listen. And now something happened. And here you go. Do what it is that you will with it. On the separate side of it is these agencies and institutions are large and bureaucratic and they move so slow. And I mm -hmm. think people understand that, but they aren't familiar of how things actually work inside of the agency. Being able to work with um, different agencies and see how the actual day-to-day government workers function and what they respond to, what their incentives are, and and how they address issues from the general public. The hardest part for them is the mail doesn't stop, right? So the public is always pushing things to them, right? At the postals, you know, USPS, the mail comes. It doesn't stop. There's Seinfeld episodes about that. It just keeps coming no matter what you try to do. You can't stop it. So if you're a government worker, you're sitting there, there's just complaints and things coming through and you're going to process them one after the other after the other these aren't drones they're real people sitting there they do care about the work they do and so if there is a number of not complaints but just 
the same issues being brought up over and over and over again, there is going to be somebody that sees the pattern there and goes, man, my boss is going to get in a, you know, a lot of trouble if we don't address this because it seems like these are increasing and they're becoming more frequent. I should let them know. So now you've moved from the general complaint box or phone calls to the front lines. Now someone's raised it up a level. And now that the next level knows, they're going to have to do something about it. And the other piece I know about, you know, government workers and, and how they respond to things is they don't want to have to deal with the public. Nobody does. Right. So they're going to figure out a way to make this stop. And if the organization or company is not going to deal with it, the government will deal with it how they deal with everything. They do nothing, and then they overreact and will put the boot on your throat. <laughs> and that's the way it works. And there was a recent congressional hearing, and I believe it was um, one of the House representatives, he does the auction style. There was a heckler in there, and he did auction style to throw him out. I think he was from, like, Oklahoma, maybe. Um, but he was the one that just warned, um, I think it was one of the tech CEOs that was sitting in there and said, hey, look, I think it was Zuckerberg, actually, he was addressing the look, government doesn't do anything. And then we overreact. So clean up your own mess, or we're going to come and do it for you. So that that is something I, I really do advocate people do is, you know, reach out through the regular channels. And whether it's in, you know, in the United States, or if you're in a different country, you've got similar um, similar avenues. I, I don't know how, you know, European countries work. Um, but I imagine there are different agencies that have some teeth over there that, that can do, they're all functioning the same as they have to be made aware of it first. And that's the hardest part is, is to get stuff on their radar and put it on their agenda. So it's taking that time uh, for as many tweets that go out and memes that get produced and, and everything else that goes on on there, you can take the 10 minutes to, to write a little note and send it. That's all it has to be because all that stuff gets cataloged and it's there forever. Mm -hmm. So do you think that your having lived in the DC area helps, helps you to see that a lot better than, than some of us that are quite a bit further from DC? Yeah, I, I do. And I think I have a little different perspective on a lot of politics. Um, I, I really do try to keep my politics off, off of there. Although I think some folks can pick them up pretty quick. Um, but in DC, it really does feel not red or blue, but more of a purple and green, if you will. So the parties are essentially the same, you know, on that Wednesday after the first Tuesday in November. The only thing that changes is maybe there's more people on one side of the metro than the other, right? So if you were red team, blue team, maybe the reds had some more on their side. And then on Wednesday, the blues have some more. But at the end of the day, they still got to work together. And that, there's your purple. And on the green, the incentives are there, whether it's it's money or influence or power or whatever it may be, is there are incentives that drive people. So when folks think, oh, the government doesn't do anything or, you know, they're just this monstrosity, it's, well, have you ever contacted them and asked them to do something for you? Because if you haven't, you really can't complain about it because if nobody's aware of your problem, who's, who cares about solving it? They don't know. And they, and there are so many issues out there that outside of this that get 
risen to the top because that's what's on the 11 o'clock news. That's what, you know, the 24-7 news cycle generates is, is this the issue of the day? Because that's what they're going to care about. There are some larger issues that take much more time to address. Housing finance reform, what I'm very well aware of, this has been going on for a decade. It's a third rail issue in D.C., but it's because it's such a complex issue that has $6 trillion of, of mortgages that are the backbone of financial systems. So to make a change to tinker and play, there's a lot of education that has to happen and nobody wants to break something that's kind of working. So unless you're bringing those issues up to your congressmen, to the bureaucrats, what have you, they're not going to address it unless they know what the solution can be, that there's a problem, and how they can actively fix it. Uh, yep. I think it was G.I. Joe that said that knowing is half the battle. Really, yeah. it might even be more than half. It might be more like 75% of the battle. I don't know. And, and the last thing I, I'd say on that is, is people give like lobbyists such a, a bad rap here in D.C. And one of the things I think people forget is you have a lot of freshman congressmen or new agency appointees or new personnel. What the lobbyists do is they're really a, a center of knowledge, and you will have both sides of the issue or three sides or however many sides that issue has. All of those lobbyists are represented, but they are the, the core piece that retain that institutional knowledge. So when a freshman representative comes in, they can say, here's our position on the issue. The next lobbyist comes in and says, well, here's our position on this issue. And the next one comes in and says, and here's our position on the issue. If it was not for them, the previous congressperson that went out the door, all of their knowledge, that octogenarian that left and the 31-year-old that comes in to replace them, they'd, there is no transition of, of knowledge from you know, their entire career to the new person. That's what those lobbyists are there for, to you know, retain that information for these Congress people. So my perspective on, on a lot of this stuff is you got to educate you know, mm -hmm. the people in charge. And once they are aware of the issues, that's when it, it really starts to take effect. And it takes some time to educate them and make them aware. As you've seen, some people have posted emails, the back and forth from their representatives. It takes a couple times because they'll give you the canned response. Then it gets a little more tailored. And the third or fourth one, they'll go, yeah, we're starting to see the issue the way you're seeing it. And we'd like to talk more about you and learn from it. Let's set up a meeting. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, shifting gears. I know that you have had kind of a, a Michael Burry type experience with the, some of the Maxwell options that you've been involved with. So you want to just give a, a quick rundown on that experience? Yep. So I'll start with everything this company touches turns to garbage immediately. <laughs> and I'm contractually obligated to say that by my sponsors, Big Trash. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah. So I bought this. I bought a couple put options, I'd say maybe three, right? So tiny position, I think I paid maybe 55 cents for them. So what is that, you know, $150 yeah, <laughs> on this? Right. So maybe 160 or whatever. So it wasn't a, a big position. It was kind of, you know what? These were the $4 put options. If this deal goes through clean, I'll lose this. It's not a big deal, move on. But if it goes south, because they had amended and pushed back 
the deal num- a number of times, um, there, there was a possibility it did not go through. Um, and so that's kind of what I was making um, essentially the bet on, is that if it doesn't go through, it's $150, it could turn into 2000 or 1200 So it was like, yeah, this, this could actually be worth you know, being short this bankrupt Chinese battery company nobody had ever heard of until February. Um, so after the merger went through, they adjust into the Tesla one adjusted options. And because it was an all stock deal, which by the way, this is a $200 million deal. They raised capital right, right before this deal closed. And I don't know why they didn't amend the terms, cut the check for 475 a share and buy them out in cash. Right, it's such a tiny deal. They just raised two point one billion dollars, and everything that Tesla says are going well for this quarter. So why don't you not just cut a check for two hundred million dollars <laughs> and be done with the deal? You don't dilute your other shareholders because that's such a big concern. You paid four hundred million on your capital raise. Beside the point, <laughs> um, because the deal was in shares, there was a portion of the deal that was going to be paid out in cash and lieu. So you would get one share of Tesla for every option contract you had. So if you were long the calls, you would get one share of Tesla plus a cash in lieu portion for the fractional shares. If you were long the puts, you'd get short one share of Tesla plus you would owe a cash in lieu amount to, to whoever wrote the options to you. Mm-hmm. So deal closes, wait a couple, I'd say like a handful of days. And I read the OCC memos and the May 17th options, they put something out and said, um, for those options, this deal will get you a fractional portion that's going to be calculated at this amount. And the amount didn't make sense to me. I think it was $228 and change. Um, hold on. Let me pull up this email I've got right here. Yeah, it was two hundred and twenty-eight dollars and thirty-three cents. So that was OC memo four five zero four six and four five zero three five. So it didn't make sense to me where they were getting this number from. So I called my broker. I called Fidelity and I talked to their active trader desk and I said, "Let's just walk through this. If I were to exercise these options, how much money do I owe the counterparty?" And they said, huh, we don't know. And I go, don't you think that's crazy that you don't know? And I go, yeah, it is. I said, <laughs> okay. And they go, well, let me put you on a brief hold. Let us do some research. They come back and they, you know, read the memos back to me. I go, look, guys, I've already read through this. So, again, isn't this crazy that you don't know how much I owe the counterparty if I were to exercise these today? And they go, that is a little strange. I go, so if I were to exercise all these options, I'm going to get short one share at the $4 puts, be sure to share at 400 plus whatever I owe the counterparty in cash. And I think the stock's trading around, call it 200 at the time. So sure to share at 400 If you were to close that, you get $200 in cash plus a random bill due to the counterparty of some unknown amount, right? It could be $185. It could be $300, but they did not know. <laughs> um, and I said, so if I were to do that and then close my account and sweep everything else out, I go, who's holding the bag here, guys? And they said, 
well, you wouldn't. I go, how? I, I would sweep everything out of the account. Then what are you going to do? And they go, well, nothing really. We, we couldn't really do anything. And I go, yeah, you'd have to come collect. They go, yeah, that, this doesn't sound right. Let us talk to senior traders. They talk to senior traders. And they go, something is amiss here. And at that time, the options were trading at like a nickel or a dime, and none of the pricing made sense to me. So I had multiple calls with multiple reps at Fidelity, and they all kept saying the same thing. We think you may have found a free lunch based on how you calculated this stuff, because if the, if the fractional amount is calculated on a floating basis, which means like the closing price of Tesla on expiration, you know, if this stack keeps falling, my bill due to the counterparty is going to keep falling. So these options are not pricing it like that. They're pricing it on some fixed amount, and I don't think they have the amount correct. And they, they were like, I think you may have found a free lunch. And my reply to that was, I go, there is no such thing as a free lunch, because if there was, I'd be eating it. So <laughs> tell your options desk to sell me every option that they can get their hands on for this uh, strike. And they go, huh. I go, because I bet you they'll price it correctly very quickly, because options dealers do not lose any money. And they go, you're right. Um, and then it was at that point, after I couldn't get an answer from them, I started emailing with the OCC. And the OCC, I, I laid out my thought process and said, I think it's calculated like this. Uh, and do you want me to go through the calculations or? Just maybe at a very high level. Yep. So my question to the OCC was, what's the deliverable for one $4 Tesla one put contract expiring on 621? And then I asked, is the answer one share of Tesla plus 200 and $12.35? Is it one share of Tesla plus $228.69? Um, or is it 200 or is it $186? And those three numbers were based on the memos, the current share price on 529. Um, the OCC said, we don't know because we're waiting on the exchange agent to figure this out. Um, I looked up the exchange agent. It was computer shares. I ended up calling computer shares. I talked with them and they said, first they said their systems were down. Then they had to go and look it up some other way. And they said, we, um, we actually have not calculated it yet. And I go, this is crazy. This deal has been closed for two weeks and you people haven't figured out what the closing share price is and how much is due for these contracts. They said, no, we have not figured that out yet. I said, this is ludicrous. Back and forth emails with the OCC. Um, didn't contact computer shares after that. Talked with Fidelity some more. And that's when I really started posting on Twitter to say, hey, look, this is what I know. If anybody else talks to their brokers, let's figure it out. Some people had options that they were short, um, get exercised against them. And their broker said, yeah, you're now long some Tesla shares and you're going to get a cash amount for the fractional shares, but we don't know what that number is yet. I'm like, this is absolutely ludicrous. It was at that point, I had a good feeling. I knew what my worst case scenario was, thought I knew roughly what the upside was. So I'm just going to buy a ton of contracts because I think they're wildly underpriced. So I did. And then the following day, um, or maybe it was later in the week, the OCC finally put out another memo and um, they said, yeah, it is floating. And this is the figure we're calculating, or it was floating. Now we've determined that the price is such. And um, at that time, the options were trading like 
near 20 or 25 cents a contract. So it's an easy, you know, quadruple from where they were trading when I started looking into um, where they are today or when the OCC memo came out. So it was one of those things where you had to put in the work. It was a special situation. And most of those people put it in the too hard pile because they're illiquid. They're non-standard option contracts. People don't like to trade them. Um, and then, but it was, if you did the work, there were some, you could have extracted some value out of that. So ultimately, did you do well with those or, or is it still open? I thought I did. I, they're still open. Um, okay. They're still open for right now. Um, so I still, still holding them. Um, felt like I would take them closer to expiration because if this thing falls off a cliff before 621, um, I'm essentially getting short shares at 400. Um, or with the cash in lieu portion, it's like getting short a share around 217. Okay. So that's kind of where those contracts are um, uh, for, on a cash basis. So my thought was if this thing starts falling off a cliff, this is basically like having at the money put and I'll just keep it until expiration Friday because there's not a whole lot of theta in it. Gotcha. Um, and if, an, if a memo comes out again and it gets updated, it could change. But for right now, it is what it is at this time. I know there is another Tesla Q member that did very well. He said he had piggybacked off of my research. He did much better than I did on this trade, and God bless him. I think I know who you're talking about, but I will refrain from speaking their name. Yep. Um, so moving on to another topic, you uh, were recently suspended from Twitter, and I think your prior account was completely axed. So what was that? what's that experience been like? You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's frustrating, is all it really is. Um, it's it's a pain because you take the time to curate the accounts that you follow, and because you follow certain accounts, you see the replies back and forth from each other. You really just can't get from searching unless you click every single tweet and every reply that goes into it, and it's the back and forth discussion on on certain subjects is where the real information is and a lot of the learning happens for me and the education on it. Um, so on the first account, I think it, it was because there was this stock LCI and for whatever reason I mentioned it one time and now this company I think is filed for bankruptcy. Um, this is, uh, the, the guy Gentile thing. Or yes, whatever yeah. His name is. Yeah. I've, I would stay a hundred thousand feet away from that thing because it's toxic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, but th- oh, what were you going to say there? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I think I'll stay away from that dude too. <laughs> it yeah, seems, it's uh, interesting. It's it's bad news. But anyway, I, I there was a promoted tweet. I had said something, and then these people just jumped on it and said I was making stuff up. I'm like, dude, I just always retweet interesting promoted tweets. So anyway. Um, I think that's why the last one got suspended because people can just mass report these accounts and then they get suspended for whatever reason. And the appeal process is like a black hole because they don't tell you why they suspend you. Then you appeal and maybe you hear back, maybe you don't. If you don't have a phone number set up prior to your suspension, then you can't unlock the account basically for this one. Again, I have no idea why it was suspended. 
Um, I don't care to really get to the bottom of it because I believe it is a true waste of time. Um, I was ready to be done with it and just ride off into the sunset because it's just not worth the hassle of of trying to recreate a new account to refollow the accounts to you know go through and and you know build the rapport with people and and everything else even and if you come you had already done that once because yeah, of and, the other other suspension so correct and i was just not i just did not want to do that again and was like i think we're in the you know seventh eighth inning maybe maybe the ninth and i go i i just watch from the from uh, the showers here inside of the clubhouse uh or so across across Waveland Avenue at Wrigley Field or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know what, if uh, they're tossing me out of the game, that's fine. I'll go hit the showers and you people finish the game because I'm done. Um so I, I think it was I have some I, I tweeted it out. I think I had three ideas of, of what had happened there, um, of why I was suspended. Um, those TMC investor forums, you've got the TMC moderator who's encouraging their members to sue docs and report accounts. You have people that are gloating about getting accounts suspended, mine included. Um, and to that, I just say, look, if that if this is a win for you, I implore you to reevaluate your thesis because I am one person. There are 250 plus people on my pin tweet that are much smarter than I am. And there are 250 more on the sidelines that are, aren't involved in this. And then there are in the institutions and insiders that have way more influence than any of us have. So if, if your beef is from a random Twitter account, because you don't like the publicly available information I am putting out there, you've got you've to readjust your thesis and take a hard look in the mirror because your issue's not with me. It's with a company that's 16 years old that is not, has not, is not, and will not deliver on the promises that they have made. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, you know, sidelined for a couple of days. Um, it's, and it's just frustrating because you just see some of these other accounts and it's like, you can fight fire with fire if you wanted to go mass report them, but you know, who has the time and who cares? I mean, it's the internet people. Take, yeah. <laughs> take a deep breath. <laughs> reevaluate your life if, if this is meaningful for me i'm like oh man it threw me off okay move on with my life <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not you know it's not an end-all be-all type type thing so anyway i was happy to get it back um get the account back uh, you know reestablish everything and and uh just move forward as, as we go through um but as i as i've been saying you know Mea culpa and uh, long live the king. So don't throw me off there again. Yeah. So that that uh, pin tweet that you have of all the people's responses, I would I hope that somebody has has captured that and saved some saved those responses for posterity of all the expertise that Tesla Q Twitter holds. Uh, another I, another possibility. I, oh, I did. I did. I do too. I hope. Uh, I hope. You know, if somebody wants to archive those, um, I'm going to try to maybe figure out how to download some of that stuff and store the the data and, and pull that off um, just so it's there. But, you know, I think it is a good collection if somebody wanted to pull it off and kind of graph and, and group some of that stuff to really showcase it. I, I think it's an interesting, interesting situation in crowd 
um, crowdsource research um, to see just a lot of these experts that all showed up on their own with their own incentives, their own agendas, um, and contribute in, in different ways that you have all of these experts from so many different fields that all saw this whole situation for what it is from a different angle. You want to talk about diversity? This is true diversity. This is a diversity of ideas and opinions and, and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And ironically enough, pretty much a singular conclusion. Yes. So. We all got here. We, all roads lead to Rome, and we all came on a different horse on a different road, and we're all getting to the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, another option or another possibility that you had suggested was maybe that your reply from Elon helped fuel some mass reporting of your account. So what, what did it feel like to get a response from, from Elon Musk? I think it was just last week, wasn't it? Yeah, man. Um, so last week was just uh, straight dunking on billionaires, um, going fishing for, for some responses. Um, Someone had recently educated me on Poe's Law. I did not know what that was, but someone had hit my replies a number of times about Poe's Law, and I went and looked up what it was. And what it is is there was some Christian forum um, back in the day, like when the Internet was first coming around, and you know they're having their discussions on Christianity, et cetera. And somebody had posted something. I think his like na- last name was Poe. And he had posted some parody response, and one of the members said, I can't tell if this is sarcastic or real. And he goes, doesn't that make you question everything? And, and when you can't tell what's real and what's parody on, on the Internet, you can get some very interesting interactions with people. And so that's kind of how I got with, um, what's, how do you say his first name, Chamath, maybe? Chamath whatever oh yeah the the fantastic reply that you got from him yes and and the fact was is i I, you know had baited on the first one and and he decided he wanted to to interact and so we went and i thought you know what i'm gonna raise the level of discourse here and say look there's a thousand ways you could have replied to this mark cuban made a a error when he was speaking on shark tank and charlie grant um had it calls him out on it and goes, I can't believe I heard this correctly. And it's just ludicrous. I forget exactly what Charlie had said about it, but essentially like it's ridiculous. There's no way that Mark would say this. And Mark Cuban responds and goes, did I say this? What episode is it? Let me go back and look. And he goes, Oh, I did say that. Yeah. I'm incorrect. There. This is, this is what I meant. That is the way to handle it. You own your mistake and you move on. And for, so when we were having that back and forth, all I wanted him to say is, I made a mistake on my live TV um, mm-hmm. or your recorded interview, the, whatever. The risk-free convertible notes. Yes. And I and as Tesla Charts had tweeted out a handful of times, it was, here's what I think he meant. And I, I believe that is what he truly meant. And I was giving him multiple opportunities to correct that statement because – the way he had said it, and it had been carried and run for so long, I thought it's, you have an obligation for being in that position of power and responsibility, is, is you do have an obligation to correct those mistakes. And it is very easy for you to correct those mistakes and still be in the same position you were before. There, there's no, you're not going to fall back, you know, two legs on the socioeconomic ladder because you admit to that mistake. You mm-hmm. say, 
this was, hey, I was talking, you know, I was talking freely. This is what I meant. It came out like this. Here's, here's exactly what I meant. And here's more information about this. Please see this, this, and this don't trade on this information done and you bury it. So when I rose the level and said, Hey, look, this is how Mark Cuban handled it. This is how he handled it. And, and he owns an NBA franchise. Well, and then I found out, yeah, he does own yeah. an NBA franchise. And when is game seven? Uh, I think game six is tonight, actually. We're recording on June 13th, 2019. Or it might be tomorrow. I'm not, or, no, I think it's tonight. I don't know. I'm behind. Oh, game, game six, yeah. Raptors up three games to two. So, man, they could clinch. And then, uh, hey. Jamoth will be sad. Karma. Yeah. Karma. <laughs> yeah, Karma. I, I've noticed... Uh, a pretty big dichotomy between Tesla Q and the Tesla Bulls. Like I can't recall very many instances of Tesla Bulls saying, yes, I misspoke. I was wrong. This is, this is reality. But Tesla Q on the other hand, we correct each other all the time and correct ourselves. I'm all the time saying, if I'm not mistaken, like accuracy is a key, key component of Tesla Q Twitter. I think it's hubris and it comes from the top and the hubris that infallibility that does no wrong. I think those pieces are starting to chip away, but I think it's the tone at the top where you have Elon Musk, he's infallible Mm -hmm. um, and he um, does not make mistakes and can do no wrong. And he will deliver on promises, whether his timeline is wrong, they will look the other way on those things and just see what they want to see. And so the, um, the hubris of that pride, um, you've got somebody that's running a YouTube channel that's got some TV appearances on you know, Yahoo Finance or CNN, what have you. You've got an investment research firm that's you know, trotted out on CNBC and CNN um, where their models are busted. They have, yeah, the kid's gotta be what, 24, five years old, let's call it. He's got seven years that he was legally allowed to invest in the market. He has not been around long enough to invest in a full bull market. So he has never seen a cycle turn, but he believes he knows how things will play out. And so it's that type of hubris that a breath will be their downfall. Mm-hmm. And the fact they won't own it is, is it doesn't bother me, but it should bother others that are relying on that. And, and so back to your question of what did I think when he replied it, man, I threw that thing out there and, and the guy knows uh, a subsidy and he knows exactly where to find it and he will sniff it out. And if somebody's talking subsidy, he's going to reply. And I just think it goes to show how, um, how flippant he is on that website because the fact he doesn't take two seconds to look at the accounts that he replies to, you can really tell, that it might not be tailored and curated for his responses. He may actually just search out certain words, certain things to go find a reply mm. without doing God, if you, if I was a CEO and you saw my account, that would be the last account you would respond to. Mm-hmm. Right. But he does it on a whim and then it's just downhill from there. Mm. And it's, it's one of those things where I think it just shows a lapse in judgment for using that service the way, or this, you know, this website for its intended purposes. He does not think before he acts. And that is, 
example number 10,000, if not mm-hmm. example number one. Yep. I think, I think we'll wrap up the normal part of the ep- episode here uh, with any random stuff you want to talk about. And then maybe for the, the bonus, maybe we'll talk about some, uh, some of the strategies that have worked best for you with trading Tesla or something. So what, what random stuff or other stuff that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about on this interview? Um, I'd like to say that the Nats have turned around their season a little bit, so that's exciting for me. <laughs> um, so, and I'm missing a Nats game to do this uh, this podcast for everyone. So I want I want that on the record. We we appreciate uh, that. So, so they uh, didn't they didn't get rained out tonight. No, they I don't think so. Um, it looked it's a little muggy outside. I thought it was going to get rained out. So how's, that, the, how's that kid from Vegas doing this year? And man, look, if I was, <laughs> I'm happy for him. Look, if you, if somebody offers you that, that, what do you, what was that? 400 and some, I 330. I, uh, I, did, I think yeah. it was over, over 300 for like 10 years or something. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Cause whoever the other guy was, was it Mike Trout? He got 435, I think. Oof, that's a and lot of money. Look, the guy did what he was supposed to do. He's got the city excited for baseball. He, he played great baseball while he was here. He was fun a fun guy to watch play and I wish him the best. And look, if someone offers you 330 million in baseball, money is guaranteed when you sign it. It's different from all the other pro sports. So $330 million contract, I'm happy for you. And I'm glad we're not paying that because that's, <laughs> that's ludicrous. It's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. So it's not, it's not Elon money, but it's a lot of money. Not Elon money. Um, Although he's other, probably more liquid than Elon, to be honest. That's the thing, man. Would you rather be worth a billion dollars or a hundred million liquid? A billion on paper or a hundred million liquid? That's a tough call. I, I mean, if, if we're talking twenty billion versus a hundred million liquid, that's one thing. Uh, twenty but, twenty billion puts you up into like the Bill Gates and yeah. the well, Warren I mean, that's, that's Carlos where, Slim. That's where Elon is, though. So on paper, though. <laughs> But you're but you're tied. But that if you're on paper like that, means you're tied to something, yeah, right? That's true. You're, you're tied li- to. He's you're tied. Liquid, he's got to go to work every day. Yeah. If if it's liquid, you're you're not tied to anything. So man, you're on a boat There's, and you see like a cool investment. You're like, let's do this. And then like three mm-hmm. weeks later, you're like, I don't actually want to do this. Give me my money back. And then you just go back out on your boat. <laughs> you're <Yep>. Done. <laughs> Any other Tesla related things you want to talk about? before we wrap um, up the normal episode? I think, that, I think that's it. Um, I, well, I, the last thing is just to tie it back into that thread I had posted a little bit earlier today is, you know, so suspended, I guess, on Monday or something, you know, had the interactions with these people, baited them, got the responses. Both of them lost their cool or just had lapses in judgments for their replies. And then my account gets suspended. And, and for that, I, I'll just say is, if your thesis rides on getting random accounts suspended, while my account was suspended, the balance sheet continued to deteriorate. The P&L did not improve. The deliveries are still costing more than they were in any other quarter. The discounts continue to happen. The shareholder proposals done by management failed. All of these things happened while I was suspended. I have no influence in any of those things, but they continue to happen while I was not on this website. So if your thesis rides on getting certain accounts suspended because you don't like what they have to say, you need to look in the mirror and reevaluate why you're invested. Are you invested because you 
follow, you're a follower of the CEO, or you invested because you did the research and the due diligence you should do when investing in individual stocks. If you're not going to open up a P&L and a balance sheet, you're not read the 8Ks, the Form 4s, etc. You have no business being invested in an individual stock. You should be back to the beginning. Bogle hedge, 60-40 equities, bonds, go to sleep, be done. And so if this is a win for you, my personal congratulations. But I implore you to reevaluate your thesis if this is the win. Agreed. And with that, we'll wrap up episode number 34 of the Tesla Q podcast. If you want some shorty merchandise, go to evacuationboy.com. If you want to contribute to the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.